0: Welcome to the Wasting Time Podcast. We're here, Nick. It's episode 50.
1: Wow. Hold on. Look at this. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, big celebration. Big 5-0. Somehow, oh. somehow recorded 50 of these. How does it feel? It's cool, man. I mean, it's not, it's pretty small numbers compared to other podcasts, but I'm still quite proud of it given there were periods where this podcast wasn't doing a lot so yeah it's cool and you've you've been on board for well more than half of them now i think really? i think it was about yeah i think i think the first episode you came on for was about episode 20 so wow okay. shows that we've been doing them a lot more frequently since since you've been on board
1: good stuff any uh well i mean what your what have been your highlights of the last 50 then if you had to had to pick any
0: yeah, yeah. Um, let, let me think. And apologies to listeners if, if if we've done this before and I've listed these before, but I'm going to do it again. Um, so I would say because there's because there's like three distinct eras of this show for me. Like because the first couple of years it was me and my co-host Darren and this guy Quinn, and during that era, I would say the James Hole episode. James Hole, who's in Apologies, I have none. That that was. It was just—I remember being the most fun one to do, just because he was—he's such an entertaining guy. And I've, you know, like in the last couple of years, I've listened back to it, and it's one I'm quite proud of. And then the next year is when I was doing it with Darren and James Farrelly. I think the best episode we did for me was uh, when we had John Allen, who runs Disconnect, Disconnect Records again, because he's just such a funny guy, so dry, and he was just so entertaining. In fact, I met Darren for a beer last week, and we were having this very same conversation and like he said for the whole time he was doing the show that was his favorite episode so of those eras those are the two and then modern era with you and my with uh, myself and you um, so there's a few there's a few it's to pick it's tough from. right it's tough it because is. we've
1: had like some some pretty big not to like blow on trumpets <laughs> uh, but we've had some pretty pretty big Big guess on, aren't we, really? Yeah, and like I think pretty much everyone
0: we've done has been they've been pretty cool and there hasn't been any like disastrous ones or anything. Um but if I'm gonna pick (laughs) favourites She
1: blatantly just jinxed it now, and the next one we have is gonna be absolutely an awful and a total nightmare.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Um but yeah, so my favourites would be I've got I've got two contenders. Um, one was quite recent, Ke- Kevin from Quiet Drive. Absolutely love that, just because, I'm well, I'm a huge fan, but I just thought he was really cool and just easy to talk to, and I just think it went really well. But the other big one, uh, which I know is one of your favourites, is uh, Max Collins of E6. I know we've both really enjoyed chatting to him.
1: Yeah, he had some um, some brilliant stories. Yeah. He? Uh, what about you? Um so I'm probably struggling struggling getting it down to two anyway, but um like Chris Messer, like tall <laughs> yeah tall great bloke. Yeah Well they all were mun- mun- uh, Munters, Pete Munters, oh, yeah. Absolute yeah, of legend. Course. Like Max Collins was a great guy. And um uh, Mark Marco DeSantis as well. Like oh, yeah. another yeah, yeah. another really, really nice bloke and <laughs> Yeah, he's um, lovely. He had a yeah. lot to say. Yeah. Uh Frank Turner obviously was a oh, of course. was a big, big one for us and he was, you know, really nice gent. Um and what more recently have we had that stood out uh Darren, Darren Pfeiffer and Goldfinger, Matt Pryor Ah oh, man, we yeah. Kinda of go back now and look through them and you're like Yeah, we've been quite really fortunate, haven't we? Uh, yeah. And yeah, I guess to get today's guest is a is another big big booking as well for us, wasn't it?
0: Uh, yeah, really cool guy. But we'll we'll come to that in a minute. Um, so re- real quick on this, if you had to pick one or, oh. or two, who who, who are you going with?
1: I would say Max Collins. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, if anyone wants to go back and listen to some previous episodes, that would be my. My recommendation, that would be one. yeah, some great to.
0: timeless stories in that one. Okay, shall we um, talk about a little bit of new releases before we get into today's today's interview? Because yeah. obviously it's a long one. I
1: know there's one particular new release that you um, you definitely want to talk about.
0: Yeah, I don't think it'll be any shock to our listeners because we've been mentioning it quite a lot throughout this this entire year, really. But Machine Gun Kelly finally released uh, "Tickets to My Downfall." Um, just at the time of recording, just under a week ago, uh, what were your thoughts on it, Nick?
1: Um, yeah, yeah, I like it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's solid, man. It's really, good, really good, good record. Um, I don't think there's a week, a week track on on that on that album. To be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think some of his, some of the stuff he'd already released is released was kind of the best the best he put out um and you know still flying the flag of that young blood blood song but yeah um yeah i think he's hit the hit the nail right on the head and done really well be interesting to see how see what the reaction is from from that genre i guess really and see how how accepted he is i guess
0: what you mean from our, our genre? Yeah, well, just from yeah, the yeah, yeah.
1: from the pop punk genre, you yeah, yeah. know, in general. Um, well,
0: I saw I saw um, Jason Tate said the other day about it. You know that, that that he thinks it's 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 really good, and he makes the point that what he's doing on this record, there's a lot of just like things that just sound very cliched, very like Fall Out Boy or Good Charlotte or Blink One Eighty Two, and and those bands themselves might be reluctant to do those things because they'll be judged for just doing the old cliches, whereas Machine Gun Kelly's got nothing to hold him back and that yeah. kind of works to his advantage, I guess.
1: Yeah, and I think he's Which he's, I thought it was a good point. And he kind of he's kind of open and honest with it of that fact within like his kind of is some of his, his lyrics and what he's singing about, isn't he? You know, and that yeah. takes my downfall, I guess, is, you know, is a bit of a a testament to that isn't it Like it is coming it is. coming out and trying something new and yeah is this going to work or not be interesting to see what he does obviously no one's doing live shows right now but be interesting to see um, if and when he was to tour that material yeah like, of course he, yeah I mean what, what, it'd be interesting to see what his approach is with that I mean my guess it would be that he's going to go straight into you know yeah your big stadiums with, with the likes of Blink and and whoever. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. I guess will he, will he embrace or will he, you know, integrate himself in, you know, with, with some of the more, I guess, more kind of regular stalwarts of the, the pop-punk scene.
0: What were some of your favourite songs on it?
1: Oh, you're, you're testing me now. I haven't listened to it as much <laughs> as you. But, yeah, I mean, Tickets to My Downfall was... Was a big one for me. There's one of the earlier on who's got a that has got a female singer in it. Did You say? Oh, the Halsey? one with,
0: yeah, the one with Halsey. Yeah, yeah. I think that seems to be everyone's favourite. It's got a huge hook on the chorus.
1: Yeah, I like Kiss Kiss as well. Bloody Valentine, another one he's he'd obviously released in advance. Yes, yeah, yeah, which is good. Yeah. What about you?
0: Uh, yeah, the Halsey one is one that jumps out to me. Um, and that song with Ian Dior. I uh, forget what it's called about track eleven. I think uh, yeah, that that one works really well. Um, have you seen yeah. much? Have
1: you seen much more in terms of the reaction to it, like other than Jason Tate? <laughs> um, yeah, it's like the
0: the. I don't know how what I'm interested in is how well it's been received in the hip hop world, the world he comes from. But like in terms of like the pop punk kind of community it seems to be received pretty well like if you go on the for like the reddit pages and stuff people just seem to seem to be loving it like i saw there was a there was a subject there was a post about something else and someone else just wrote a comment under it saying i came to look at this just because it wasn't about fucking machine gun kelly and how brilliant he is which gives you gives you an idea (laughs) of the general attitude um anything else that you've that you've you've heard apart from
1: that last week or two um, no, I'm still really enjoying the um, uh, it's the 2020 album. Totally had a blank one who. What are you talking about? I'm talking about Knuckle Puck. Ugh. Oh, really? Yeah, really? Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, I've had that on a fair bit. Really, really enjoying that still. Listen to that new Lesson Joke track you sent it before. Yeah, nice. what'd you think of yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, it's nice, very listenable very enjoyable. yeah, yeah, yeah think, is that off a new record they
0: got due out it is it's off a new album called Silver Linings which is coming out I think it said December or something
1: right
0: um cool. yeah yeah no I was impressed with that uh the other thing I've been listening to is Slick Slick Shoes have a new album called Rotation and Frequency sounds yeah, like yeah I haven't
1: got on that yet but
0: it's I mean it's they're doing nothing new but it's kind of what yeah. Slick Shoes Do Best, and if, if any listeners are into them, um, it's it's some of the stronger songs I've heard from them for a while, so it's worth checking out, definitely.
1: Cool. Well, I suppose we should probably get into this, this interview anyway. Yeah, it's Dave Baxch,
0: ba- Bax, I think you say is his last name, but obviously he's, he's, he's well-known as from his nickname Dave Brownsoud, from Sum 41. Um, let me just give you a little idea of where we are and stuff. So, uh, mm. as I said, my name's Chris. I'm based in East London. Uh, I'll let Nick introduce himself.
1: Yeah, I'm based up in the northeast of England in Newcastle. So yeah. um, we'll get into that a bit later. <laughs> yes, we'll, right. we'll certainly <laughs> mention that. <laughs> and and you're, uh, you're based in Toronto, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, just outside in the, uh, the suburbs of Toronto. So the greater Toronto area.
1: Yeah. So, so, so how's things going over there for you then at the moment, like with... I guess you know, with what's going on in the world, what's what's Canada looking like at the moment?
2: It's it's weird, of course. Like um, especially going to Toronto, where we mainly, especially Cone and I, because we still live in Canada, we still mm-hmm. go to Toronto. We play in bands around here and uh, play music, but it's like um, it's like a I don't know. It's like twenty eight days later out there. Yeah, it's like it's completely desolate. I was just um, recording a a uh, song for a compilation uh one of uh the greatest punk rock bands out of canada a band called snfu have you guys heard of this band yeah yeah oh just awesome but um the lead singer chai pig had recently passed so a bunch of canadian bands even bands like napalm death are are uh, getting together to uh, be on a compilation in memory of uh chai pig so we were downtown recording and man like it was like the it was close to seeing like tumbleweeds. So so what's
1: what's been like the advice to you then in terms of um, what you shouldn't, shouldn't be doing at the moment from, from I guess your local government.
2: Me uh, for us, it's mainly like just always wear your masks unless you know you're within your 50 person bubble Um, outside. If you're clear of some people, you can um, you can basically take your mask off. But uh, you know, it, it's kind of like a lot of places. Not everybody is uh, is adhering to the rules, and, and like uh, I know this sounds super weird coming from a, a guy famous for playing punk rock, but it's like <laughs> you know, it, it's almost like an old man like looking at at kids and being like, "Oh, you're not wearing your mask. Uh, you'll see." Mm, ah. Yeah,
1: I guess we're in a probably similar situation. Really, you know, I guess things are, I guess, slipping back into a bit of. Well, the new normal, as they call it now. So, what's, so what's um, I, I guess, outside of COVID and what, you know, all the crazy, crazy shit that's going on right now, uh, what, I mean, what does the kind of average average week look like for you these days? Um, you, I mean, you talk about kind of doing some production and stuff like that. I mean, how does, yeah, yeah, yeah. How does life roll for you at the moment?
2: For the past couple of weeks, everything's kind of gotten super busy. I, I'm uh, working, uh, co producing a record with, um, a uh, guy named Steve Risen, who, uh who is a, a great punk rock producer out here in Toronto, and uh, we're working with a local band called the Anti Queens, which is uh, like a just like a great rock and roll band from uh, Toronto, and uh, we're kind of in a cool kind of situation with them because they they're just coming off um, their most successful record. Um, and you know, they, they got to tour Europe for the first time and go see the world thanks to the, the songs that they've written. So they're kind of on a, uh, on a launching point as far as, uh, furthering their career. So, uh, it's been kind of cool to find the balance between getting something that still stays true to the core of the sound, but still growing. So it, it, I guess like you you'd say like Rage Against the Machine, as opposed to like, uh, David Bowie who was able to just like change his style every single
1: record so I mean you you work with kind of new up-and-coming bands how do you kind of how do they how does that kind of feed you know kind of get to you I guess really is just are you working with labels or
2: honestly man word of mouth it's, there it's it's cut kind of to one stay busy uh when I'm when I'm home but uh you know it's it's also a way to just kind of stay connected to the local scene because I do kind of live, um, you know, a little bit out of the city, so it helps me get in the city, go see bands. And, uh, just, I don't know, just this, uh, Toronto scene, it's what I've always kind of grown up in and it's, uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a really comfy place for me. And it's, uh, one of the most important things about being home is, uh, being connected to the musicians that I've grown up with.
1: Nice. I, I mean, I guess yeah, what, what we usually do with these things is kind of take it back to the start as well. So you kind of, yeah. Or, or you've already, already kind of segued into that anyway, I guess, really. So, <laughs> I mean, I mean, well, I mean, what was your upbringing like in Toronto and kind of what was that first kind of, what were your first experiences with music and, uh, you know, as a, as a as a young lad and, uh, you know, where did that take off? Well,
2: I mean, so it, it kind of starts with me picking up a guitar and, um, holding it all wrong and my cousin being like well no you hold it like this and then you read this magazine so he gave me a copy of guitar magazine he's like start with this and he just kind of opened up to um a tab of an anthrax song called cotton amash so he's like this is how you read tab and that ended up being the first riff i ever learned on on guitar so i was already starting with with heavy metal and um, my cousin was kind of ingrained in the metal scene there but uh, I was always a kid that just liked every type of music. So right. I mean, being a part of the the metal crowd when I was, you know, like uh, like thirteen, fourteen years old, I had to hide metal CD or hide hide like grunge and punk CDs under my bed so my metal friends wouldn't find it because the the scene was a lot more toxic <laughs> back then. <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: We were just coming out of that like you're either a punk or you're a metalhead kind of yeah, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Tribe, yeah yeah exactly
1: well i mean we talked about the other guests haven't we in the in the in the sense of back then you kind of had to pick a pick a side didn't you like you whereas now like music is like so accessible now isn't it to 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 young kids you can it's there's not really that i guess that that pressure to kind of put yourself in a in a box anymore it's you know you can yeah literally, you can dive in it you know Everywhere, I suppose back then you you know you had to go and buy CDs and do all that whole thing. So I guess you you invested in I guess that 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 genre that you you I guess yeah. gravitated towards.
2: I mean, we we all gravitated towards each other. The uh, the kids that listen to everything. But I mean, I was I was playing metal with people that were sometimes double my age, and right. uh, I I just remember one time there's a city called Bolton nearby. We were at the fair, and uh, I ran into um one of the old vocalists of a death metal band i used to play in we were called embodiment and uh, (laughs) we were super metal super like we were gonna like we hated the government at like 13. and uh he was (laughs) he was just sitting there and this is a guy i gotta tell you like just just a short history of this guy this is a guy who do tons of drugs drink like tons of beer like kick the shit out of firefighters hang off our rafters when we're playing shows and you know like like all the way to like like his idea of makeout music was Uriah Heep right <laughs> so like we're we're talking like a serious metal dude and i just see him at the Bolton fair and he's just like hey man what's going on and uh, i'm just like oh, hey, hey sh- you know how you doing uh, it- it's really good to see you again man and he's like, what the fuck's up with that punk shit, man? <laughs> and, but like in between, like drilling me like a sergeant on like what the hell am I doing with my life? Why am I playing punk rock? He's taking bites of cotton candy. <laughs> nice
0: just, contrast. <laughs> yeah,
2: it just offset the toughness of the situation. It was amazing.
0: Um okay, sorry, just um so this is going back to the early days as well but just moving away from music it's funny yeah. i was i was listening to you on um what's that show called what the guys calls it all backs and pepper podcast is, I, I said oh yeah right?
2: yeah 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 my buddies yeah, they yeah they uh yeah they're, they're the uh they perform as the monsters of schlock and they're an right. awesome freak show yeah
0: <laughs> so i knew i didn't know anything about them i just saw like um, yeah yeah, you, you threw it up on your Instagram that you're on that show, so I listened to them. Like, um, I mean obviously you can tell that that they're buddies of, of yours, so they you know, it's all super relaxed. But I thought it was for a really sure. funny it was a really funny <laughs> listen. Um, but I loved so you, you were telling this story of when you were growing up, um, when you like a, a mate of yours was coming over to your house for the first time and your dad's outside and he's uh, Oh you we know, yeah. <laughs> So I mean, we Yeah. Sorry, go on yeah.
2: if you want me to tell the story I totally can
0: yeah i mean i i love to make you repeat yourself but it's such a good story so if if, if oh. you could repeat it and also like if there's any other stories related to your dad because if, if they're like this then i want to hear them <laughs> <laughs> yes <Yeah>. so, <laughs> so um
2: i had a buddy um named uh, lexi Rudnick, who is now a children's author writes incredible Mate. children's yeah. books he's in the middle of uh doing some really cool stuff uh musically um and we're actually supposed to collaborate on something um and uh he's he's just awesome like taking care of kids great dad but um this is this is back when we were like 16 and yeah we were like like trying to you know smoke a little bit of the hash cigarettes we'd find in my dad's my dad's packs right <laughs>
0: right
2: so yeah yeah <laughs> um so we're walking home one day. We got a little section of sidewalk, um, that just connects two streets. So it's gated off and you can't see anything. So we're walking through there. We turn right. And, uh, Lexi at this point, um, he was hanging out with me, but we were like one of the only West Indian families like within Ajax at that time. Like there really wasn't that much. Like I would say maybe, maybe two to three percent west indian families in uh, in now at that point so uh so yeah like culture shock for everybody so we turn the corner and i'm just looking and like i start squinting and i can see in the distance my dad on the driveway and i'm like oh man (laughs) oh dude and i'm like uh, so like Lexi, uh, like I don't know, maybe we should uh, like maybe we can do the homework at your place. Like uh, it, it's uh, and Lex is like, no man, let's just go to your place. I'm like, okay, all right. <laughs> and like for those of you that don't know, I'm I'm not sitting there being like like I'm not one of those kids that just got beat all the time by my fathers. By my fathers, it was just I was walking into a spot where I didn't know how my friend was going to react. So as we get closer to the house. Like, the picture to get, just gets more and more clear. And I realize that my dad is wielding a massive 12-inch blade, which, <laughs> <laughs> which we call a cutlass, right? That, right, that was it, yeah. Super sharp, super sharp, because he is without effort just chopping through a pineapple on the front step. <laughs> right. So as we get closer, like, like I can just feel the heat coming off Alexi's body because of him <laughs> sweating profusely from walking up to this big Caribbean guy with just wielding a massive weapon. Right. Yeah. And as we get closer, uh, like I go into shock a little bit because my dad is wearing a turquoise outfit <laughs> which is comprised of like just bikini briefs (laughs) So it's just like he's on his front step and he's just chopping up pineapple in his underwear and once we get to my driveway i kind of give lexi a look like are you sure like i warned you are you sure (laughs) (laughs) his right foot went on my driveway but his left foot, whatever it's connected to, it's like the the, the more sensible part of his brain. <laughs> that foot went in the direction of his house, <laughs> and it was just like he just did this move. And and we we go up the the uh, the driveway to my dad, and uh, he's like, "Oh, David, what's going on, man?" I'm like, "Oh, hey, what's up, dad? This is Lexi." He's like, "Lexi," <laughs> he's like, cuts a piece of pineapple, holds it sideways. It is literally just like it's on the end of the blade he holds it up to lexi's neck and is just like you want some and... <laughs> and lexi's like lexi's like uh-huh and he just, <laughs> just like i see his teeth emerge from his top lift and he yeah. doesn't like he just bites it off the cutlass he doesn't take it off or anything like that. he just <laughs> eats it as if <laughs> he's like in a camp and he's just being, <laughs> being like pineapple tortured. But yeah, I mean, it, it like after that day, it was like, it was kind of a hard sell.
0: <laughs> so uh, still on the subject of your dad, like, um, I, I saw another Instagram post when it, it was a throwback photo of like you guys signing your first, first uh, deal in late 99. And I think you said in there, my dad at this point gave me one year to make the band thing work. Um, what you know? What was that time like? What you know? What was your parents' kind of general reaction to to Sum Forty One? Yeah. Kind of you know, like gaining some traction and it looking like you know it might go somewhere. Well, my my mom has always been a um,
2: like an absolute sweetheart, right? Super supportive, right? And my pops too, but his his support is different, as you can tell. You know, he you know he he's just got a little more of of, a, of an aggressive approach to things, right? Mm-hmm. So. My mom was just kind of like, you know, go follow your dreams, do your thing. Oh, he's <laughs> my handsome boy. And uh, my dad kind of like, listen, boy, one year left, and if you don't graduate and get this record deal, you're going to school. Like, like he was gonna. It, it was like the way he said it. It was like he was mm-hmm. shipping me off to like boot camp.
1: <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Say. I mean did you have a plan B I mean was there something that uh, if that hadn't worked out that you would have you knew you were going to do at school or anything or, or Yeah, it man, literally... I had a plan
2: B. My my plan B was getting famous in a rock and roll band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I learned at it at like um about 15 or 16 years old. Um there was a a CD shop called Margo's Compact Discovery. And uh, I had overheard a guy talking about the fact that he would go work for bands, just like setting up their gear stuff like that at shows. And um, it just kind of like irked my interest a little bit. And yeah. I was just kind of like, oh, you know, like, and then I started paying attention more. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I could like just learn how to fix guitars, you know, learn how to fix amps, learn how to set this stuff up. Mm-hmm. And I could tour the world and and go do things for free. So that was kind of like, that was going to be the driving force for me was just becoming uh, essentially a guitar tech, which I didn't know at the time, but then, you know, everything ended up working out really well. And, you know, I got to say that if uh, I didn't have a conversation with a friend of mine at 16, I don't think I would have attended the, uh, the jam with some 41 that ultimately made me decide that I want to join the band. Yeah. Otherwise you would have been like, you know, we're talking to guitar tech, Dave Bax.
1: right. Yeah. So I mean, how, I mean, how quick was it then in terms of that, that um, I guess that that introduction into some forty one until it kind of really progressed into well, well, I guess global success been, really. Yeah, that would have been ninety six. So
2: um, about four, or five years after that. Yeah. Yeah so we like yeah
0: one was when it went mental for you but
2: yeah back then like 97 17 years old we it bands weren't really in a position where all this awesome software and Mm -hmm. and uh recording goods were available so we would have to basically like put out cassette tapes so essentially what the mixtape was to hip-hop was what we were doing with punk rock right sure so what yeah.
1: was there much going on locally for you then? Is I mean did were you doing do many shows just to kind of build build a bit of momentum there? And what was the local yeah. scene
2: like? Yeah, shows, touring, stuff like that. Um, mainly just hammering like uh Ontario, Southern Ontario and uh jumping on anything we could that would come to down come to town, you know, down by law, ten foot pole. We would we would uh we got on with all less than Jake, gave us right. chances early on and oh, okay. and uh yeah. Yeah. So like a lot of those bands paved the way for us. And, and, uh, there were bands out here, like trigger happy, you know, um, figure four out of hand. Mm -hmm. Those, those were all local bands that were kind of, uh, ingrained in the local scene still and would, um, give local bands a chance to open up for them, which was, which was awesome.
1: And I guess following on from that, there was that when the kind of major label interests start to come along from from Ireland, then I guess, really was it? Yeah, well, we actually were lucky enough to have
2: a, uh, a bidding war going on uh, for us. And uh, we we went through like heads of, of record companies that would like, okay. that told us that we needed to sound more like the Moffats, to one guy who was like, you need to sound more like Our Lady Peace. And right. we couldn't even listen to this guy because he had this <laughs> cookie crumb on his shirt. And as the meeting went on, the grease from the cookie crumb just kept on spreading. So it just (laughs) looked like he had like this weird like grease nipple with a brown tip. (laughs) So we just we couldn't we couldn't concentrate on what he was saying. But um but no, Island came out like they didn't do any dumb shit, like say, Hey, I can quote the first verse of fuck the police by NWA and then awkwardly do it for us. (laughs) (laughs) so it was like these guys were cool Um, we met the rest of the label all the people there were awesome to us and we were just more of a uh, we have more of a New York attitude so we just fit in really well with the whole like New York marketing strategy and New York label kind of setup and uh, we uh, were lucky enough to meet the boss tones and they said hey listen like we're going to we're gonna do something where we set up your your first release on Island. So they took um a bunch of songs that we had essentially put on mixtapes and stuff like that, and we got to put out something on their label called Big Rig. And without those guys we we wouldn't oh, have like cool. landed our first tour and yeah, yeah like we, we owe a shit ton to the boss tones. Okay. Wow. yeah, man. Still not a Red Sox fan though. <laughs>
1: So I, you did an EP, didn't you? An island half, um, half hour of power, right? And then, yeah, that
0: was a full full length, really, wasn't it?
1: Before, sorry.
0: Uh, uh, no, I was saying half hour of power. Nick just referred to that as an EP. I, I, I thought that was basically a full length, if I remember we, it. Yeah. We
2: called it a we called it an EP, even though it was a oh, half you... hour record. Yeah, okay. I mean, but um, it it just it rhymed. So we were like half hour power <laughs> debut yeah. EP.
0: Yeah.
2: So I'm... we, we kind of named it first and then we we're like, oh, I guess we need a half an hour's worth of songs now.
0: Do you, do you ever feel bad about stealing that pizza from the Makes No Difference video? Hell no. <laughs> stingy ass, so st- st- stingy <laughs> ass pizza cook. No man. <laughs> I remember, like uh, around the time, you know, because I think, Statute. I think you're you recently forty, if I'm right. Yeah, 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 just in July. But uh, yeah, so I'm only I'm only a cu- couple years younger than you, and like I remember, like when that video was out, like you know, just me and my friends watching it over and over again, just thinking, this new band's the coolest band. This song's catchy as fuck, <laughs> and like that pizza heist is the funniest thing I've ever seen.
2: Oh, dude, it, with water guns. <laughs>
0: Mm.
2: you know yeah. and also yeah. also the, we should be saying allegedly like i i i mean i vaguely remember the p pe- allegedly we stole that pizza but um yeah i don't think the statute of limitations applies yet <laughs> <laughs> allegedly tim Tugan could could come after us for the uh the 12 bucks we owe him <laughs> yeah.
0: Sorry, Dave, can I just ask you another thing from those years, which I know yeah. you've been asked a whole bunch of times over the years, although maybe not so recently. But so firstly, um, how bad was the beef with that SR-71 band? And secondly, did did you guys ever make up and have you ever been into their music?
2: We never made up officially. Okay. Right. But okay. I got to say, if if I ever saw the guys, I wouldn't be like, hell no. You know, what I mean? it's just <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. That's so petty. But we were, yeah. you know, we were we were led in a direction by our manager. We were led to believe that that band was put together for the sole purpose of destroying our career. <laughs> right. Okay. So <laughs> okay, like like Muppets, we just followed that direction, and we were just we uh, like we were part of of the downfall of another band which sucks you know what i mean like in in today's climate for rock and roll especially yeah that is such a shitty stance to take but man we were fucking young and we were we were (laughs) we were so (laughs) angry that somebody was going to to try and dethrone this chance that we had to be um what uh was everybody's plan A but my plan B. But we were like, <laughs> we, yeah, so we, we ended up going to a festival. We covered one of their songs and changed the lyrics. And uh, we met up with them um, at a bar afterwards. And it was just like, it was just like, what, it looked like a Western movie where like the bad <laughs> guy is at one end of the, the bar and the good guys at the other end. And they're yeah. just exchanging dirty looks at each other. And uh, it uh, it all went down. Um, Steve went to the bathroom, and then one of the SR-71 guys went to the bathroom. And we were just egging them on and egging them on and egging them on. And um, they came back, and they had had enough. And an altercation ended up happening. And mm-hmm. uh, we just, I'm going to be honest, man, their crew kicked the shit out of us. Wow. So, <laughs> we, got, we got beat, we got beat <laughs> up pretty good that night. We got beat up pretty good that night. Uh, we, lo- <laughs> we got our video camera smashed. Oh, saved fine. the tapes. But, like, yeah, yeah. So, it, and might I add, might I add, we were asking for it for sure. And we were of legal age to have the shit kicked out of us. Right. But we were, it was literally like old man dad strength versus like wasted 19 20 year olds so, and that was back before UFC gyms existed so I'd imagine a 19 year old these days would just fucking handle me But
1: so after I guess after that period I mean all killer no filler came next right it went yeah. absolutely mental for you guys um, were you
0: Nick can I just interject I, I really want to ask you now how what, what, how is it working with Jerry Finn I mean obviously legend like that
2: it was i'm going to be totally honest with you it was the most incredible um production uh it was like it was the most incredible learning experience as far as like production how to be a band uh what is a good tone versus a bad tone Mm -hmm. um like this is a guy who could say things you like we played at the uh the Roxy in LA we were doing a little uh, stint out there staying at a place called the Oakwoods right. and um we and if if anybody out there doesn't know about the Oakwoods look them up they're like a legendary old like furnished apartments where like every rock and roll band stayed from the 90s to the early mm-hmm. 2000s and um he had the ability to say stuff like Dave your guitar sound is as if like you are slapping the strings with a mackerel right. It sounds slippery. It doesn't sound clear. It's just overall shitty. And like, he can say that shit to you and you're, and you're like, Hey, well, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta make that for them. He just has this way. And it's not a, it's not charming the way he tells you. Like it's, it's not like sugar coated or anything like that. It's mean mm-hmm. as fuck, but you know, what are you going to do? <laughs>
1: to take you bit, to take you by surprise initially
2: oh man well i'm walking out i'm just like yeah man killed another one
1: and he, <laughs> he just comes out and he's just like yo man that fucking sucked but he's a bit of a legend really worked with 100 who, so i guess you kind of have to listen right
2: yeah what yeah what can you say really to uh to jerry finn when he's like yo improve your shit
1: how did that how did that get hooked up then was that some was it something you guys cited or something that was kind of lined up for you guys we uh he was at the top
2: of our list as far as our producers we wanted to work with um mm-hmm. just like everybody in the band had a uh, had a favorite record that he had touched
0: sure from
2: yeah. you know like green Day to rancid you know what I mean and then um even like just hearing the fact that um oh you know, like 10 years later he's like producing blink we were like okay well like this this guy is like this guy's the guy like we we met with a few guys um yeah. and uh it just it was kind of weird and uh it really came down between uh Jerry Finn and a guy named Rob Cavallo and uh Rob Cavallo would have been great but he wanted us to sign to Hollywood Records as well okay. right okay so yeah, so the offer kinda got taken off the table when we when we were like, Well, we're gonna go with Island Def Jam and then uh Hollywood Records kinda so put the boat back did on. Did he us. just
1: have some sort of exclusivity to that record label? was it or?
2: Yeah, yeah. Him and his uh him and his dad were uh were well, well ingrained in there and mm-hmm. uh there was a big uh Disney connection there as well, which kind mm-hmm. of Which it it, that kind of put a a little bit of a bad taste in our mouth because, um, yeah, yeah,
1: I guess it feels weird for like, I did not feel weird for a producer trying to steer like a label decision for like a band. Like, obviously, you have those affiliations, but like, producer is there to be a producer, (laughs) like, and a label is there to be a label, and yeah, like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've not got the experience yeah. you got in the industry, but yeah, it feels. I mean, I
2: mean it, yeah, it was just an old school approach. I mean, like a lot of the uh, the Motown guys were in house. You know what I mean? Like it, it they it just was what it was. You know what I mean? But uh, you know, he had he had great success with with Green Day, and mm-hmm. you know, he's he's an incredible producer. So it, it and you know, he's getting work directly from a record label. So that's as a producer, that's just. Sure. Yeah, you're living the dream.
1: Yeah, but you you stuck with Jerry anyway. So Jerry did all and no a filler, right? And yeah, that's I guess when things just went absolutely mad for you. Um, were you were you, pre- were you prepared for what was to co- to come um, off the back of that? If anybody is
2: prepared for um, a record uh, like comparison wise to anything we had ever released. Um, if anybody says that they're prepared for or they're prepared for that amount of success off a record, it's I like I'd love to shake their hand.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah,
2: because it was insane. It it was absolutely nuts. I went from like peering into the windows at a at a local music station called Much Music yeah. to being on the inside, like seeing the kids peering in from the outside yeah yeah and you know went from like um old in like bitter ass indie rockers being like your fucking band sucks to tiny girls with tiaras shaking me on the street to the point where i'm like i I might be i might be concussed like honey we might have to go to the hospital but um and it, it was it was pretty quick and but um yeah i was gonna we... say
1: i mean how i mean how quickly was it for you guys that that uh, from releasing it that it that it went crazy because i mean i remember chris i don't know if you remember over here it was like you weren't you weren't off the telly you weren't off mtv like you couldn't you couldn't avoid uh, like seeing you guys um you know yeah at, at one point yeah that's fair to say yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, we were we had an incredible press agent over here, uh, a lady named Louise Maine, and right. her team her team was just incredible for us over here. Um and uh they had a liaison uh over in uh in New York, a guy named Matt, and um it was just it, it was insane the the way that um that we had hit because you know, we were we were pretty much on the road since '98, uh, mm-hmm. and then we kind of stopped to get signed. Got um, and then as soon as we recorded Half Hour Power, we were out. So as as uh, All Killer No Filler was hitting, we were literally uh, about two and a half years out on the road, with like a week home here, two weeks here. But, um, yeah, we we were just, we had our head down, just heads down, just grinding, working, you know, and it just became an absolute, uh, working well-oiled machine and, and it was incredible, man. And looking back on it, um, if I would have attempted that type of, uh, workload now, I'd like, I'd come home in two years to all my stuff on the lawn
1: (laughs) right yeah i mean did you at the time did you you kind of you recognize it or you just kind of caught up in i mean the i guess the numbers as well in terms of what you were doing globally like given that you were you were head down touring shows non-stop did you i mean were you kind of a little bit numb to what was going on like like worldwide or i mean into you 100%, be very aware
2: a hundred percent numb, absolutely like w- when you're when my head is down and uh when i'm kind of in w- w- i guess they call it flow whatever whatever um psychiatrists call it yeah. uh, i i don't notice anything time disappears like and that's kind of the state we were in for that entire you know first period that i was in the band it was like we just toured, you know, stopped to record, toured, stopped to record, toured. There were days when, or there were years when we were out for 300 days a year
1: Wow,
2: on yeah, tour. and uh, Yeah, I mean, it's, it, but th- that's the thing though. It's so enjoyable that it's impossible to notice. It was impossible for us to notice that we were running ourselves down in the process.
0: Yeah,
1: I yeah. suppose you yeah. were you were like still early twenties at this at this point, right?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Invincible, yeah, like yeah, in yeah. our minds, and yeah, yeah, not realizing like the the damage we were doing to ourselves, and when for me, if I'm not noticing the damage that I'm doing to myself, I uh, it all just ends up compiling on me, uh, and just kind of like releases in a point where I'm like. I can't understand why I'm so tired. I can't okay. understand, you know, like it, it's, uh, it gets depressing, but as a, uh, as a musician, you know, what we do is so fun for some of us that it's so easy to just turn off the, um, the emotion of like, oh, just the emotion of like phoning in a, a uh, performance yeah and but it's also easy to dismiss um being tired with like well why am i tired you know almost like uh mentally punishing yourself Mm. for uh for feeling tired that day even though it's it's a completely human state of being
0: and and did this all kind of basically contribute to to you leaving the band in when was it oh six i think it was because i know like publicly you said musical difference you know certainly you know listening to you on that other show last week you you were essentially saying you know it's kind of more to it than that yeah well i
2: mean i mean you guys are old enough to remember the um the world press back then right like especially and and i hate to single single uh countries out but like uh, especially like media in um in europe and britain Mm -hmm. um it was very very gossip driven and, um,
1: I hope you I hope you're not talking about the Newcastle Chronicle because they've got very nice things to say about you. <laughs> yeah, they do, they do absolutely.
2: <laughs> but I mean, but back then we were you know um we were kind of in the limelight. We were waning on that tip of like, um, do the media like this band or do the media not like this band? and we were we had the we we had the the uh, knowledge to know that that was happening, and uh, when I yeah. left. I kind of figured that the easiest thing to say would be musical differences. Mm -hmm. Because if I had said, you know, my family is falling apart. I am mentally falling apart. Um, you know, if I had mentioned these things, I think it would have shone a light on some people that I love very much that were, that that were in a very delicate balance. Mentally, at the time. And uh, unfortunately, I think that um, my ex-wife took the the brunt of that. Um, right. You know what I mean? Uh, just like having to deal with my, my depression and, um, you know, my constant need to play music. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, I think that um, I didn't get out of that area of my life unscathed but i came out better than i was that's for sure
1: okay so did you did you marry quite kind of quite young then and whilst you were still very much in that i well yeah that heavy touring kind of lifestyle i guess
2: yeah absolutely and it was so easy for the two of us to grow apart um as far as as what we wanted right like i was touring so much and traveling so much that You know, I was kind of under the impression that, like, well, you know, what if we just, like, we sell everything, get a small house, and uh, easier to maintain, you know, like this and that. And um, it kind of uh, fell on deaf ears. And it's, I don't know, just, like, little things like that, like, kind of made us grow apart mentally. I I was away so long and, um, like, so... Far disconnected from human contact, other than like hanging with the the band guys and yeah. you know, like uh, going to bars with friends that uh, we had we had made along the way. That um, it felt like when I got home, um, I don't know. It just felt like the love was disappearing, and, and we had basically started becoming roommates.
1: I mean, you're not the first person that we've spoken to from, you know, from that era and that age where, you know, I guess, the road and touring life has brought that that career to a halt, really. But uh, you're seeing this revival now, though. Of all, a lot of people from from that time who were very successful and uh, very young and um, you know pushed to uh, pushed to the point where they just needed to step away from it. Coming back now, and there's this. We still got you. Are
2: you there? Yeah, yes. Oh, I yeah, okay. I lost you for about about uh 30 seconds, but then you came in to like a you were saying something really nice. <laughs> and then and then uh I after you were done, the, the I I didn't realize that my headphones disconnected somehow.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, Nick Nick was just saying how it, how he hates some forty one for the most part, and then there's just one song he likes basically. Join the no, club. No, 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 he wasn't really no. saying that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I just I was just saying it's it's been a bit of a familiar story with a lot of our guests. You know, we we have spoken to a lot of artists from that early two thousand zero, and were very successful, and the road had kind of driven them into the ground a little bit to the point. You know, the, literally, like you say, like non-stop you know and it's kind of brought to a a complete halt but actually what we're finding now is this this revival from from these a lot of these artists that are coming back and you know for me and chris being very much into that scene at that time it's well you know lots of other people it's great but i guess now it's on your it's a bit more on your own terms and at your own at your own pace now right
2: yeah absolutely and i mean i can't remember who would have started the whole like okay, it's, it's now all right to admit that, that um, this life where you literally, like you, man, I can't, when I tell people about my day, it is the easiest sounding thing of all time. Right. You know what I mean? But um, the, the collection of uh, doing it over and over and over and uh, having massive amounts of drinks when we were younger you know, we, we'd like sure. essentially doing that, this, uh, this workout and then, and then, you know, using like beers and whiskey as, as Gatorade yeah. essentially. Yeah. Right. But, um, right. but you know, now, nowadays you're right. And I think that, um, it's a lot easier these days because we are conscious of all that stuff and, you know, we're, we're not, you, we're not drinking because we're hung over we're not you know um we're not just we're, we're not just making the choices that we used to when we were younger we're uh just yeah. overall having a better time on the road we enjoy each other's company a lot more and the <laughs> bus stinks less but
1: but there's still the appetite <laughs> out there though now and it's kind of people are really enjoying that that nostalgic return of of you guys and you know i guess all the other bands that are uh, coming back from that era and, and making a bit of a comeback and getting, you know?
2: Yeah. As long as nostalgia stays true to its, its meaning, which, uh, which is a, is an appreciation. But, um, you know, there, there's been some, there's been some ironic use of the term too. And it, it, I don't know, like um, it's hard to feel um, when, when somebody uh, says something like uh, nostalgia in a negative way, and I know I know you're not saying, but um, mm-hmm. it can be a little bit. It, it just makes us want to go out and do more as a band. You know what I mean? So it's it's almost like that. It's that new drive of hearing hearing um, you know, oh oh, I remember those guys. Fuck, are they still a band? Oh, yeah, yeah. or like, oh shit, those washed up motherfuckers. All right, but then you know, then you know, we get to we get to go out and you know, and play records like Order and Decline, which yeah, you know, like, yeah, which which is one of our heav- heaviest records to date. So right. the, the band still grows, but but yeah, no matter what yeah. um, what band you are and what success you get, you're always measured by your biggest success.
0: Yeah, no, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, people love to say... People who, who are on the outside love to say that as an insult sometimes, don't they? Like the whole, oh, are they still going? You know, just people who might know you guys from Fat Lip or whatever. But what do you notice at your shows these days? Because obviously you have got the hardcore fans who've been there all along. But do you find that you get people who are there, you know, for the for the yeah. hits from back in the day? And then obviously the stuff you do now is yeah i know there were you know you're kind of moving in that direction quite a long time ago but they might not be aware of that and it's funny i asked this because we chatted to um alex from the band rome you know it's in the uk band and yeah
2: oh yeah hell yeah and
0: he was he was ju- he was talking about when he went on tour with you guys and he just he felt yeah. that they weren't received very well because a lot a lot you know, a big portion of your audience were there for the, the old Sum 41 hits and you know, they're not going to care about a new band like Rome. And like, so I guess, do you notice that at your shows that you have that a little bit? And if you do, is it frustrating or, or maybe, maybe that's not the case.
1: Well,
2: first Alex, <laughs> if you're out there, <laughs> I, I'm probably, I'm probably going to text him about this after actually, because him and I keep in touch. Oh yeah. But like, yeah. He
0: said you guys do. Yeah. Please yeah. do.
2: Yeah. But yeah, first of all, Alex, You're wrong. You guys did really, really well. (laughs) We, we both, we both like actually I would say that it would be, um, probably like a two week radius that Frank Carter and the rattlesnakes would have blown everybody off the stage. Right. So like anytime Frank Carter and the rattlesnakes hit a stage, the two weeks previous and the, and the two weeks after just don't matter,
1: right? Okay,
2: because that show was so well. So Frank good. Carter
1: just on his Frank Carter on his own, I think, just kind of lights up a room, doesn't he? In, by yeah. himself, um, yeah, in whatever yeah. he does, I guess. Yeah,
2: but then you know, yeah. Deener is a great guitar player. Like the the whole band is is oh, rock yeah. solid, right? Like, uh, yeah, but yeah. yeah. So I mean, we uh, Rome, Rome and us kind of suffered at the hands of of uh of that show because we had to go on after frank carter every night and that was that was it (laughs) oh i see it definitely like lit a fire under our ass for sure
1: so we just wanted to um i guess go back a little bit but um we just want to talk about your like chris and i were watching the um the war child documentary earlier on today so and it's fucking mental. Oh my <laughs> man!
2: Like that was crazy.
1: So we, so we want to chat about that. I guess firstly, how I mean, how you got involved in in that, and how it became a a thing for you to go out and and kind of do do that documentary. Well, I think not work. Yeah,
2: I think with with success um, for certain people, there um, there's an inherent amount of time, and uh, we in the band we're, like we're always of the mind of like our wasted time, you know, can be put to better use. And especially if it's something that, um, that we believe in, um, politically and we believe, um, you know, that something is going on. We, we try to keep our politics out of our music, even though they definitely, our politics definitely creep into our music. Yeah. But, um, you know, outside of the music, um, the band is a, a a great vehicle to raise awareness, you know. And um, this was a time in the Congo where you know they had been ravaged by civil war um, between the Lendu and the Hutu, and um, as a result, um, militias from different countries had moved in and started um, taking over natural resources. And allegedly some of these militias were paid by world governments, you know, yeah. and um, uh, the, and it basically just ravaged a place that should have been absolutely rich because they, essentially everything we are using to do this podcast right now, mm-hmm. um, Coltan has been used in it. Right, right. Mm. at some point and um these were the main mines that we were uh we were kind of checking out um the effects of that civil war and the occupation of these mines that that that's that was the main reason that war child approached us about the approached us about the congo so we uh decided to go to uh to bukavu and um we were set to be there for about three or four days and then head down to Bunia Town. Um, and from the moment we landed, every single person was just like, why are you here?
1: Did did you, I assume you didn't have a clue what you're getting yourself into. Well, I then, mean, we, point, we or?
2: read what we read. Um, the, the information on the areas is so guarded. So at, mm-hmm. there was no, like with war child, they didn't know either. Like, we knew we were going into a place that needed help. So we were going to, uh, to film this documentary and basically just use whatever celebrity we could to be like, listen, yeah. this place is in a shambles. Any small conflict that goes off, you know, it, it affects everything from the people living in that city to the, the plant and wildlife, you know, like 100 miles out. It's insane how much gets affected by the, uh, by the, you know, the leftovers of war. And, uh, we, we basically what both of our groups knew was that it was at a time of peace. Right. But what we didn't know until we got there was that they're like, okay, well, you're here, but, uh, just know like tensions are really, really high. And uh, things could go really wrong really soon. Wow. And I, I remember we there was a Ukrainian general there that was uh, working with the UN. Uh, his name was Igor Bulgakov. And uh, he basically said to us, like, you need to go home.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and, of
2: course, you know, of course, we're like, ha, General. <laughs> that, like fought, fought in the Falklands. What does this guy know? <laughs> and uh sure, sure enough like about um about 4 days in we were set to go to Bunyatown town and uh they were just like do not go to Bunyatown town. It is an absolute like it is a straight up firefight there right now. Right. And then we were like okay, well we're going to stay in Bo- we're going to stay in Bukavu then. And uh we ended up. Uh, it was after a day of filming, and uh, I'm actually looking at the picture right now. Uh, I'm basically holding up a uh, a little girl who had been kicked out of her her home by her family because she was accused of of uh, performing black magic on her uncle. So sickness can sometimes be viewed as a spell. Um. The, the belief in black magic and the belief in voodoo magic is, uh, is, is extremely high. And, um, you know, in my experience, I don't feel that that exists. But there are people that feel very strongly that it does. And, and I'm not here to, to shit on anybody's beliefs. But I was in a place where 20 to 25 displaced children were under the care of a nun and a priest um and they were doing a great job because the girls were all happy singing it was amazing um to see this this level of uh commitment but um just their each each one of their stories were tragic and and Mm -hmm. um after a hard day like that uh we got back to the hotel and every night we would all kind of meet for uh, a little bit of coffee and uh just kind of go over the day and talk it out it was really important very therapeutic
0: because
2: mm-hmm. uh, we saw a lot of things that um you know four kids from the suburbs don't see they like we you at, we are so far detached over here that um it can be an absolute shock to the system.
1: So, who, so who were you with with over there? Then was it just representatives from from the charity that were facilitating? Kind well, of,
2: we were with uh, we were with uh, Dr. Sam Nutt, Dr. Eric Hoskins. Uh, we were with uh, George and Adrian, our our cameraman, and then the band, and then we had our uh, tour manager Jeff Marshall with us as well. Right, and uh, yeah, it, it was. It was uh, one of the most eye-opening trips because that night when we sat down, um, I heard what I thought was a shovel smacking the pavement, and it was just off in the distance. That's exactly what it sounded like, right. and uh, we had this great view from the bar. Uh, the hotel was inset in a uh, on the hill of a valley, so you had to drive down a little bit, about halfway down the uh, down the uh, kind of like. I guess it would be a, almost like an escarpment, but uh, you'd have to drive halfway down and you're just you have this beautiful view of uh, Silver Lake. And it was just happening off into the distance. So it just sounded like a spade being smacked on rocks. And um, the, the reason it sounded like that was you could see from uh, where the bar was set. It was a hotel that was inset into uh, almost an escarpment, just a steep hill. Yeah. You had to drive down to get into the hotel, and uh the bar just had this gorgeous view of Silver Lake. And um the the Congolese in the bar were getting nervous, but they weren't they weren't reacting any any kind of way. But they the the kind of like the tension in the air kind of like lit my suspicion a little bit about, about what was going on. But um at no point did I ever think like okay, that shovel smack is going to happen again. It's just going to go pop, 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 pop. And then the Congolese are going to hit the floor. Yeah. So the Congolese hit the floor, and seconds after, so did we. And we realized that this wasn't a shovel being smacked on a rock because, let's be honest, why the fuck would somebody do that? Why is somebody like, oh, I got this shovel. I'm just going to smack it on a rock because I'm a fucking lunatic. Yeah. But... (laughs) No, something crazier happened. It was an exchange of bullets. And the problem is, there's no way that a person like me, without any military experience whatsoever, like, I'm part of a group who just told a general, like, Nah, man, we're cool. I think we should probably stay. And, and he was just kind of like, okay, dummies, well, enj- enjoy the coffee. Right. <laughs> and, then, and, uh, yeah. And literally, like, that set off, um, the, you know, the, the basically like 36 hours of events that would, uh, that would take place. And, um, we went from, from, mortars coming so close to the hotel because what was happening um was the congolese military were advancing on a rwandan militia who had abandoned their mine, gone to the rwandan border and uh been told that they don't have a country anymore right because of war crimes and um and the horrible horrible things Mm. that these militia generals Mm. were doing with children which involved um, telling them that they were bulletproof as long as they had pure thoughts. Um and the reason they were bulletproof was because they drank water that was uh, basically gro- that was basically a pond at the bottom of a tree. Um and they the kids that we went to a demobilization camp, which is a camp that reintegrates child soldiers back into society. Um, a kid just told me a story about how more than once he had been lined up on his knees and the general would go down the line with a revolver and you know he would tell the kids that it was fully loaded and he would go down the line and essentially play russian roulette with these kids and if one kid ended up you know getting their head blown off it was because they had impure thoughts and that was the explanation that these kids were led to believe and these that are these are kids that are taken from their homes yeah kids that have you know, in some cases watched their families die. Mm. It's horrifying, Mm. absolutely horrifying. And, um, so I have no, I have no love whatsoever for, for these, uh, these corrupt militia generals that, Mm. that do these fucking horrible things to children and people that live in that area. But, um, He was turned away from the border, that general, and he just basically said, okay, well, in that case, this is my country now, and tried to take over the Congo. Right. And so hopped up on cocaine and gunpowder that, you know, like, it almost worked. If it weren't for uh, the UN and the armed division of the UN called Manuk, um, that place would have fallen completely. Congo would have, I mean, it's still in in a shambles today but um it would have uh it would have gone but uh cutting back to like our experience there uh, you know like as visitors we were in a room that was just you could feel the shock wave of mortars hitting you could see yeah. the plaster from the ceilings falling out of the uh falling out of the ceiling when we were when we were in the hotel room with about 40 other people you know the yeah. that that low point where I'm sure you know I'm sure Cone reached it, but uh, I know I did. Where I was like, okay, well, this is this is it. Like this is this is the end of it.
0: Really, he like, genuinely
2: it? felt like that. Absolutely accepting wow. death. You know what I mean? And and I'm not being dramatic. I'm not being. But I even have um, an old journal where I had basically said goodbye to everybody. Mm.
1: Well, I mean, you know, even rip- watching the footage, it's it, it's not hard to understand that was that, was that all just footage that Derek had taken, or was that your camera?
2: No, no, no. That was that was the two camera guys. You know, kudos yeah. to them for having the cameras on when they did, and you know, two brave, brave motherfuckers, that's for sure. But um, you know, we ended up getting um, carted to the uh, the UN compound where we had originally been told get the fuck out of the country. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, they took us in with open arms. Um, <laughs> and this was all um, like this whole thing was produced by the efforts of a guy named Chuck Peltier who is a Canadian peacekeeper. And we ultimately named the record Chuck after right. it. Yeah. 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 That's so because cool. Because so the cool. guy is an absolute hero, saved 40 lives that day. Wow. Because, um, you know, 20 hours later, that hotel was completely overrun. And used as a focal point to try and attack the co- the compound, and then eventually the compound was overrun.
1: Do you, do you still keep in touch with Chuck? Do you, I mean, does he know? I mean, does does he know <laughs> that he's got a record named after him?
2: Chuck is so bad with uh, with with uh, like technology. Yeah, yeah, but um, I'll I'll uh, kind of relay a message between a buddy, a mutual buddy named Jamie, who uh, Chuck anytime we played Vancouver, we would invite Chuck out and uh, his buddy Jamie would come out and uh, Chuck was an animal man. It was, it was so cool party with him because (laughs) there was one time where he just came in and uh, you know, this guy who literally was going to protect 40 people with, you know, that club that we zoomed in on in the video, (laughs) right? A cigar and a club. That's what he was armed with. Um, (laughs) Yeah. He's doing shit like, Ripping urinal off, urinals off walls and partying hard with us, and it, yeah, it was just it was a blast having the guy around. And
1: and um, I guess to yeah, to hear yeah, I mean, with it, someone uh, you know pretty much you know you owe your life to to a degree, and he's probably quite blasé about the whole thing by the sounds of it.
2: Oh yeah, he's he's his like our like our job is um, going out and playing in front of like whoever is in the crowd that night. He's just yeah. like, he's, uh, I just go out and I save the lives of, it, of whoever's in the crowd that night. Was, That's kind of how he just operates.
1: Was that record, Chuck, then, I mean, was there much, because that came not long after your, your, your visit to the Congo. I mean, was there much within that record that was um, written around that, or, or was, was that kind of material already in? Uh, We're in... All to
2: Blame was actually written during the trip to okay. the Congo. yeah we always have um we always have things set up um like we had the recording budgets back then um but derek will always come come out with a banger towards the end of the record Mm. because it's uh, songwriting for us i'm not sure how it works for everybody but it's like a muscle and uh the more he works it uh the, the, the better he is at it and it's just like at the end of every record it has not failed although you know what maybe he just saves the song and then he he just looks like a hero so the song was like written a long time ago and then like he's like oh
0: dudes by the way i just wrote this last night (laughs) (laughs) it's like this fully awesome song um Nick, nick i don't know if there's anything um i'm missing out here obviously pull me up on it but like You know, I'm I'm conscious of time and stuff, so I just I want to, Dave, just ask you a couple of questions about when you came back to the band after the time away, and then we'll finish up by just talking a little bit about UK-oriented things and a Newcastle United. I'm sure we'll come into (laughs) that. Chris Um, doesn't
1: like football or soccer, so it's gonna be it's gonna be painful ten minutes for him. But I'm very keen. We talk about well talk about Alan Shearer <laughs> and, no, you, no, no. and all that good stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, no. Do you know what it is? Like, I I was obsessed with football in the 90s. And, like, until you know, when I turned, like, 17, around two, 18, around 2000, that's when I went away from it. But I'm – sorry, I'm telling you my life story real quickly here. But I'm from oh, Brighton on the south coast. I was brought up an Arsenal fan. You know, like, if Arsenal didn't win at the weekend, that's my weekend ruined. And I moved to the northeast – when I was like 11 that's that's how Nick and I know each other and uh so I was in the northeast during the Keegan Shearer bullshit years and I was an fuck Arsenal you, fan man. up there and it was horrible oh <laughs> no way those were the years man those were the yeah. years but anyway we'll, we'll get to that can I just ask you real quickly um so you know you, you've obviously you've said before that um your, your years not in the band and then Screaming Bloody Murder came out and you heard that and you were just like fuck I'm into this this is what some forty one should be doing now. I want to be part of it again, but can I just ask you real quickly what you thought of the the other records you weren 't involved in the the more pop punk one the underclass hero what What were your thoughts on that record
2: well i was actually i got the demos for that record i was i was okay. um, I was actually excited because our plan was to do a uh, a record like underclass um, which predominantly had uh more of a return to the first record and then sure. a really heavy record as well oh,
1: So it okay. was basically
2: going to be a double album where we had like a soft side and, and a heavy side oh, And it was, okay. it was a great idea and it's it's still you know I really wish that I would have just stayed you know but at the hmm. same time I really don't think my mental state would be uh, as strong today if I had right, right, yeah. So I mean, underclass, there were all songs that I was I was ready to go in and record. And
0: oh, I see, okay,
2: yeah. I mean, it's it's like I still to this day have fun playing even the deeper cuts on All Killer No Filler because oh, yeah? it's it the for me music gets associated with memories and feelings. That's that's my main um, that's my main association with music, and it's how I love music. It's how I enjoy it. The uh, that's why I'm so bad at naming who did what and who was part of this lineup and what band this was and that and that. But my fiance is like an encyclopedia with that stuff.
0: Really? Yeah.
2: Oh, it's it's amazing. Oh. But um, yeah. I, I got to be honest. Like, I actually thought that that record was really great. But uh, I wasn't at a point in my life to feel the emotional weight that got put on me when I heard "Screaming Bloody Murder." Oh, okay. yeah.
1: So I mean, what what are your ambitions now then for uh, I guess some some forty one and how I mean, how do you bring that together now? Is it like you do the odd odd writing together and a few tours a year? What's I mean, what have you what do you agree as a as a collective?
2: Derek doesn't stop writing. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I take a break from, from playing guitar every once in a while to play FIFA and, <laughs> uh, you know, but, um, this year has been a weird one. I know Derek's been writing his ass off and, uh, and he just recently had a baby as well. So he's, he's enjoying the time with his new son. And, um, as far as ambitions, it's like, we just want to keep going. Yeah like it like to to hear, you know, you guys even though the uh the chat cut off and I couldn't <laughs> respond and say how nice the the uh the compliments you were giving uh, earlier were like stuff like that means the world to us, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um you know, of, of course we're driven by the by the people who are shitty to us. But the, you know, the the uh the people who still appreciate what we did um, the people who came along in the middle, and the people that are discovering the band now, mm-hmm. like there's, there's no malice, no, no. Uh, this is my band. You can't have them. That's just not the way our fan base is. Because I think all of us come from a place where um, we either accept people for who they are where you know we were maybe downtrodden so that gives us a better understanding but i mean i think the ambition is just to keep going and keep playing music for ourselves and the people that want to listen to it i know that sounds super corny but it's the it's the truest thing that um that a musician could could uh want Mm -hmm. or do
0: yeah and it's really cool you're you're in the position to do that um, for real and and, and then not you just kind of slightly related to what Nick said um I could be wrong but I know that you were slated to play slam dunk this year and then it's just ah. getting put forward to next year Are you still on you're still on the bill for twenty twenty one you know that's assuming it can fucking happen in may but you know that's as a lot of
2: as far as I know we're still a part of the bill
1: mm-hmm.
2: um i i don't know what's gonna happen with festivals but i gotta tell you man like slam dunk is like man it's just it's one that i really really wish could have happened this year and it, it's yeah. probably one, one of the one of my biggest upsets as far <laughs> as this whole pandemic
0: i mean i, I noticed on, on on the on the the all Backs and pepper showed like you 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 mentioned slam dunk recently um briefly, and you just said and you said obviously you were, it was a shame it couldn't happen, and you just said like you know because you have a bit of an affiliation with the u k like how yeah you is like, one what... of
2: my favorite places on, on earth when my daughter <laughs> handed me her perfect
0: re- report
2: card, I was like, this is good, but it's not as good as slam dunk
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that. <laughs> Yeah, that's that, that's the first we'll, sentence uh, to say. Uh, yeah. We'll hopefully see you there next year. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get to yeah. It, it yeah.
1: would
2: be it would be awesome to be a part of it next year if if we can be. I mean, they the, uh, they've been asking us for for a couple of years now, and and it's been something I've always been chomping at the bit to do.
1: Cool. I guess uh, the the unfortunate side of it is that it falls outside of the football season, so you could you know there'll not be going, anything going on at St James's Park at that at that time,
2: buddy. I was planning like a I was planning like a 2 week <laughs> trip, right? And then I heard that the Premier League was being uh extended. Right? So I was yep. like, "Oh shit, okay, this is happening." Like we're <laughs> like I'm going to force my fiance to go sit in St. James with me. <laughs> but uh but yeah, it
0: it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Have you been to St. James's before?
2: I've seen a couple games there. I saw, yeah. um, I saw, Luis Suarez, uh, you know, fall to his knees, even though he didn't get touched uh, in the in the box, and watch <laughs> Liverpool beat us two one. I was there for when Sunderland beat us in the derby.
1: <laughs> oh, dear.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's been a couple. It's been a couple real trips, but <laughs> you know, I don't care. Like it, it was just amazing i've done i did the studio tour with uh or sorry the studio tour the stadium tour with a good friend of mine uh he's a Toon boy as well Uh, his name's paul hamilton so paul if you're out there i miss you buddy
1: i I had no idea about your affiliation until um the chronicle which is our obviously our new our local newspaper posted a massive headline on our uh on my social media saying um some 41 guitarist dave brown sound is a newcastle fan <laughs> and here's why hell yeah <laughs> so hell yeah the o2 academy found dave brown Sound's personalized nufc guitar <laughs> pick underneath the sage before dave confirmed his allegiance on twitter hell <laughs> yeah man so
2: hell yeah so
1: i mean what where did that actually come from then i mean it, some well, rugby tour in wales
2: is that, is that right yeah 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 i could i could play two two sports um what we call soccer over here football over yeah. there and uh and rugby so um i was an all right rugby player by by like uh, provincial standards and um we ended up uh having a good team that year at our school with our our what we call our juniors which would be um, when you enter high school, you go from nine till till grade 12. And uh, we were grade nines. They were grade tens at the time. But there was a a point where all of us would have been on the the team together.
0: Right.
2: And that was when the coaches had the idea to uh, have the team go and kind of do a preseason tour over in England. So we played a few places. We got our fucking asses handed to us, of course, cause you guys like <laughs> have been playing rugby since, you know, like since before bottles. <laughs> right. And, um, but, uh, I was, there was a particular trip to Wales where, uh, I was being billeted by a family. And, uh, that was my first exposure to the Welsh accent, which is fucking rad. I, I was sitting, I was sitting, uh, I got to stay in my billets room that night and, uh, he just opens the door. He's like, Dave. I'm like, what? He's like, Dave. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Death? He's like, Dave. I'm like, Dave? He's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. What's up, dude? He's like, you know, people, <laughs> And I'm like, what? And in my head, I'm just like, what the fuck is this dude saying to me? Right. It turns out he's asking me if I want to go 10 pin bowling with him. And I'm like, (laughs) but like it came out like, 10 pin bowler.
1: And I was like,
2: (laughs) but, um, that night, um, I'd been sat down to a dinner and, uh, the, the mom was really, really sweet. And she sat me down in front of the TV. She brought me a dinner and, um, the dad came home lady and he was just kind of like, Hey, what's going on? She was like, uh, Oh, you know, I, you know, I, I don't have enough food for, for our billet. And then the dad was just kind of like, well, give him mine. Like without, without like pause, the guy was just like, well, give him my food. So Mm -hmm. like I overheard and I was just kind of like, no, 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 please. Like, you know, like this is more than enough. I'll be totally fine. So to make up for it, she was like, well, I found this today. And then she puts down this hologram. It was like out of a Kellogg cereal box. And it was Alan Shearer doing a header on, on Leeds United. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you twist it, right? You remember those things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so I'm like eating my dinner, kind of playing with this thing. I'm like, oh, this is so cool. So I uh, ended up talking to a buddy of mine. I was just like, who is this? And I was like, oh, that's Alan Shearer. Like he's, he's one of the most incredible like players in, in Britain. Like uh, he plays for Newcastle United. So I just kind of started uh, searching up a little more about Newcastle United. We had, we had British relatives that would come visit us every year. And uh, yeah, my, my, uh, my cousin's dad at the time was just kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, Newcastle's an incredible team. Like they're doing really well. They might win this year. And it, of course, it was that year.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: But yeah. um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about.
1: Oh yeah,
2: yeah. But uh, well, I so, was yeah, pleased then... to see they didn't win. But that's me. Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. But yeah, and just ever since then. So that would have been '95 that that happened, and then so yeah, this will be yeah.
1: So you've been through all the um, the ups and downs, I guess, really, of uh, the last 20, 20... Oh. Were,
0: were, were were there many ups? oh
1: fifth place <laughs> fifth place brah FA Cup finals yeah yeah that's right that's right yeah
2: um yeah man I I I have all the way like from like oh God like Michael Owen just blowing Dang. everything yeah joking here all the way to Musa sick Joko it is just yeah anyway that's what I call them
1: Anyway, before we put Chris to sleep with um, talking Newcastle United, with, uh, what I thought I'd do because Chris uh, Chris is a South as a South Coast guy, and he oh, okay. he sometimes forgets that he had he had roots in the Northeast and spent a lot of time. Yeah, well, in the I I,
0: li- I lived there for fifteen years, yeah, from like my early teens onwards. So yeah, so I have my stint you know there. that's
1: how we know each other. We were in a band together in Newcastle growing up, and he's since oh, moved nice. back down south. So. What I thought we'd do really briefly was first, Dave, test your um, knowledge of um, Geordie phrases uh, and see if Chris can validate them or not from his time. Okay. All
0: right. Okay. Sounds good. So
1: first one is a divina. A divina. A divina.
2: I didn't ever know.
1: It's close, Chris. Yeah that's that's I don't know. That
0: that's uh yeah, that's an easy one for me. It's basically I don't know, so yeah, I'd okay. say yes. I say you got that. Yeah, yeah. use that on Close use that on Paul next time I see him.
1: Yes, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> uh the next one is I'm Ganyem.
2: Uh yes, I'm going.
1: Not quite.
0: Uh no. Oh. I to, didn't quite nail that I'm
1: one Ganyan. I'm
0: afraid, man. Chris, Ganyan. Uh I believe that that uh, the Geordie way of saying I'm going that's home. Correct.
2: Oh no way! Okay, yeah, okay. Now- I've actually done that in Newcastle. Like I've lived <laughs> in Newcastle for for about, well, it was about two weeks before me and my uh, my ex split. But really? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we had a we had a flat in
0: Jasmine together. Oh, and Jasmine! Yeah. Oh, wow. Nick, can you imagine that? Just uh, walking around and bumping into Dave Brown saying, like, yeah, I'm living here right now. That would have been a trip,
2: wouldn't it? <laughs> I swear to God, I, uh, I had to spot the, uh, the true Geordie once. Oh, really? Yeah, and he kind of, like after I, like I was brand new to the gym and uh, I, I swear <laughs> to God it was him. But uh, he kind of gave really? me a look after I spotted him like, well, you weren't much help.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so what what do we got phrase wise? What's next? What's uh, next?
1: So if I was to bump into you in Jesmond, I would have said you got new the neat Hey you
2: are you going out tonight? That's... I I'm I was most likely going no, out no, that no. night.
1: Five stars for that yeah,
0: one. Nailed yeah. that. <laughs> Nick, these are these aren't really phrases. These are just geordie uh pronunciations <laughs> of regular phrases can i just point that out
1: well the next one's a little bit so he's he's all right okay he's go on, kind then. Of oh okay. fuck paul
2: you yo paul has said this before <laughs> <laughs> oh i can't remember the context he did it in though is it Ah, oh, is it he uh he tries hard he works hard
0: not quite, Not quite. No, damn. Unless less I'm unless I'm mistaken, Nick, that would basically means uh he's he's a nice he's a nice yeah, guy. He's a
1: really nice guy.
0: Yeah, he's okay
1: cunning really...
2: Yeah, that would that would a hundred percent make <laughs> sense. It's too bad. Most of my conversations with Paul are like what we call Roadie Friday, and they're like late at night and we're both like sharing a bag of chips or crisps. And uh, yeah. just off our faces.
1: Fair enough. Sounds like a guy I can get on with. I did just, I oh, just yeah, did yeah. just stalk him there, and we have got four mutual friends. So, there you go. Oh, oh, really, yeah. Really? <laughs> Trust me, like
2: honestly, honestly, in all my travels over the world, one of my favorite people that I've ever met.
1: Cool, Chris. I don't know if you want to wrap up.
0: Just before we do, I had. This this guy's like a like he's a really nice guy, but he's more of a friend of a friend. So Mitten, that's Matt Cox, who's a who's a policeman in London, who's a huge fan of yours, Dave. Oh, cool. He just his his one question he wanted to ask, you know, could have asked anything. He just said he wants to know how you got so buff. That that that, that's (laughs) his one opportunity. That's what he went with. But okay, it's fair enough question.
2: How did I get so buff? I uh I I downloaded Tinder found out yeah. nobody liked me. No 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 I'm just kidding. No, I, <laughs> I, I uh I quit smoking pot, man. I in oh, okay. all okay. actual like for for like if I can just be totally real, um yeah. I was I was on about at least an ounce a week. And right, uh okay. so I, I was I was pretty heavy in and uh I was starting to get a little bit um like this like early kind of like paranoia and uh reading up it looked like it was kind of bordering on schizophrenia and um one of my favorite bands of all times is is bad brains and uh Mm -hmm. you know the singer hr um some people link his uh his bouts with uh with mental health to his use of weed and you know there's there's studies that go either way but the safest thing for me to do especially since the last time i smoked joint i was playing mass effect and all that happened in my head was i just thought like you know what man your front doors are thin you couldn't stop a home invasion right now (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, at that point and i just kept it's like home invasion just kept on going down in pitch in my head home invasion (laughs) (laughs) so eventually i was just like you know what i gotta quit um i just refocused that energy into uh going to the gym getting better at guitar and uh now i am super boring and uh my only friends are are guys that call me over uh cleanfeed.net
1: there you go there you go
2: yeah, but guys, That's I really appreciate way. you having me on today. I, it it was—I uh, jumped at the chance as soon as uh, anything Newcastle-related comes along. So,
1: <laughs> well, I'll be sure yeah. to let the, um, the Evening Chronicle know that you have, you've been on the podcast. <laughs> maybe there's some promotion there for us as well. There, so uh, we some, yeah, yeah. might get some local fans. Yeah, <laughs> this there's side. gotta yeah. be a,
2: there's gotta be an image where we can just all Photoshop us high fiving.
1: Yeah
0: for the Chronicle
1: front page. Let's do it. Let's do
0: it. Let's make it happen. Uh, Yeah, no, Dave, this has been such a pleasure. I want to thank you so much for giving us this time. I've, yeah, I've loved it, man. Oh,
2: guys, thank you. And uh, we always got time for you. Just whenever you need us, just reach out.
1: Nice one. Cool. Hope to see you at Slamdunk next year.
2: Ah, me too.
1: Nice one.
2: Cool. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for your time. All right, no problem. Cheers. Take care. Bye. Okay, bye, man.
0: And that's the real buyer, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, they, they, that 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 That's good that you said something, because this was the moment when we were just like, fucking that hell, guy's that was a boring. Fucking nightmare. Yeah. yeah. Some <laughs> 41 oh, That's why I had to okay. pretend that I actually liked
2: that man. One, for, uh, two one hours. of you is like, you've got your hand towards the camera, just doing the yap, yap sign.
1: <laughs> yeah, this guy ever <laughs> <laughs> All
2: right, guys. Much love, and uh, I hope everything's going well for you yeah, and your and families you. over there, and hopefully all this kind of clears up Thanks, soon. Yeah, you
1: too, man. Stay safe. Cheers. All right, okay. my dudes. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, we'd love it if you could subscribe to us uh, wherever you get your podcast, whether that's iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or any, anywhere like that. Um, also check us out on social media if, if you just search for Wasting Time Podcast on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook give us a like or a follow on any of those and also we love hearing from listeners as well so uh, feel free anytime to drop us an email at thewastingtimepodcast at gmail.com or obviously you can message us on social media as well but um, yeah we'll catch you next
1: time
0: we See-